Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Take Talk with you anywhere. On your computer or smartphone, log on to Talk1370.com. A beautiful, beautiful sight. Stay connected with Talk 1370, the right choice. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. I tell you, today we're going to talk about Code Next, and you need to know what that is. It has nothing to do about the gun uh, guns, as far as I'm concerned, but it does concern gun owners. And here's why I say that. Code Next... We're going to find out here shortly uh, from Dave Sullivan, who is a research associate at University of Texas. But he's in his capacity as being on the, is it commission? It's a, an advisory group. The advisory group for the city of Austin, which is you know, for, the, for Code Next. And so he's going to tell us exactly what Code Next is. But what concerns me about Code Next is the fact that we're talking about putting people in high rises and putting them together in communities. And in these high rises down at the bottom, you're going to have different shops and stores and stuff like that. So you can, you know, be kind of self-sufficient. Well, along with that comes a little thing that's going around with owners of these properties. And that is putting in your lease, no firearms allowed. And that's going to affect gun owners. And if they put that in your lease, then that means that you will not be able to own a gun in that property that you're leasing or renting. So that's why Code Next is definitely going to affect you, and you need to know what it is. So let me go to Dave Sullivan, who's a research associate at University of Texas. I'd like to welcome you to the show. Welcome, Dave. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, Let me uh, also thank you for your service to our country. I read your bio, and I deeply appreciate that, and thank you for having me here. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, So tell us, Dave, what is Code Next? Okay, so cities like Austin, all the home rule cities within the state of Texas, have what are called land development codes. These are sets of rules that have to do with our built environment. They have the rules for how tall buildings can be, what the impervious cover is, what the setbacks are between buildings, what the landscaping requirements are. They also have to do with some of the public infrastructure like street widths, sidewalk requirements, things like that. So basically, it is a very thick document uh, that describes all of the rules for our built environment. It also has to do with what uses are allowed. So we can, you can imagine that you've got the size of buildings, the description of the buildings from the outside, but also is it going to be retail, office, residential, um, et cetera. 
So um, when we completed a comprehensive plan for the city in 2012, uh, the next step was to update the land development code, which we have on the books right now, which uh, dates back to the 1980s. And so we are rewriting it uh, to reflect all the changes that we have in our society over the last 30 years. And we're call it, we've branded that as Code Next because it's a catchy name. Okay, and let's talk about Imagine Austin. Mm-hmm. What is that and how does that tie to Code Next? Similarly, with regard to having a land development code, uh, home rule cities in Texas are supposed to have comprehensive plans that guide decisions about how they spend public money and also do uh, have rules for uh, zoning and whatnot. So we had passed a comprehensive plan in uh, 1979 called Austin Tomorrow, and that was our existing uh, comprehensive plan. There was an attempt to update it in the 80s with another plan that was called Austin Plan, but that did not get past the city council. And so when Mark Ott came down from Fort Worth to be the city manager, he kicked off a program to update our comprehensive plan. And again, that got branded as Imagine Austin, again, to have a catchy name. Uh, But it's basically an aspirational document that talks about how we would like Austin to grow over the next 30 years or adapt to change over the next 30 years. It's not about promoting growth. It's just that because we're a large city and we attract a lot of people to be born here and to move here, um, we have to figure out how are we going to change as as that population growth happens. So within Imagine Austin, we have – what's called a growth concept map that shows where we hope growth would occur. And it's basically along our major corridors and at uh, certain nodes distributed around the city. And that's an, uh, the part of the reason for doing that is to preserve the neighborhoods so that the growth doesn't have to disrupt the neighborhoods but can instead happen along major corridors and at these different nodes. And then it will happen around our edges also. Okay, and then we do have a problem with um, evictions that are going on in, in on the east side of Austin. And I'm going to throw some numbers out to you, right? Not right now, but after the break, I'll throw those numbers to you because there are a lot of people in East Austin are actually getting evicted, and they're being forced out of the city, and they're having to move on the outskirts of the city in other cities like Maynard and other places uh, because they can't afford to live in East Austin. And so some people are saying, you know, that's gentrification. So let me bring it to the conversation, uh, Gabol Jamal. And am I saying your last name correct? Gabol Jamal. Gabol Jamal. All right, Gabol. So let me bring you into the conversation because um, last week or so, there was an article uh, in the Austin American Statesman uh, that kind of said, you know, and the title of that article was, you know, enjoy hipsters paradise in this trendy neighborhood. And so it kind of started off a decade ago. Austinites would rarely dare to venture to the east side of IH-35 quarter, though the city has never been home to truly seedy or sinister areas. Going east of the highway prior to the mass gentrification of downtown was not advised. However, now that the neighborhood has been purchased by California investors and trendy millennial homes, owners... East downtown is one of the city's most desirable locales. So let me bring in Jamal to uh, Jamal to talk about that, uh, Mr. Gabo. So, yeah, so we saw this. Actually, my dad pointed this article out to me because he actually reads stuff like the home section of the states and he reads every word of it. Um, and I mean, it's just pretty offensive. I I grew up. I didn't live in the east side, but I went to school at Keeling and LBJ. I probably spent more time in East Austin 
15 years ago than I do now. And um, Why don't you go over there now? Because of the hipsters. Oh. <laughs> uh, there's Ouch. nothing for me there right now. Um, but, I mean, just the very first line of the, the, the story, you know, uh, Austinites would rarely dare to venture east of uh, on the east side of 35. So that implies that anybody that lived on the east side of 35 was not an Austinite. So, I mean, it, it goes on. If you read the whole thing, it's just kind of – I didn't find anybody that actually thought it was anything other than disgusting. We kind of hoped it was satire, and it I definitely didn't it read that way. Um, so, so tell me, when you look at this article, what stuck out to you, and why did it make you so angry? Well, every everything about it. I mean, they put hipster in bold letters in the title. It's uh, It seemed to be – um, almost congratulating the developers for the gentrification of East Austin. And um, I, I almost think it's a battle that, that's already been lost. Uh, but to, to praise the developers that, that were responsible for it while insulting the, the original residents and the few that remain uh, is just pretty overall offensive, I think. Now, Olivia, uh, tell me what stuck out about this um, w- with you. Don't even get me started. Uh, Well, I mean, first of all, her name is a lot like my name. So a lot of people message me thinking that I wrote this article and I had to correct that really quick. Um, For those of us who have been trying to do something about gentrification in East Austin, the last thing we needed to read was something like this. And, uh, you know, it's not anyone's place to even have satire about gentrification right now. And I I firmly believe that people, if you know a family that lives in East Austin, if you spend one weekend with them, uh, start to finish, you sleep there, eat there, wake up, there's no way in the world you would have written something like this. It's, uh, you know, what's happening in East Austin is not, it's right there. We're in Austin. You know, people talk about Standing Rock and all these other things. I mean, what we have going on here in Austin is something that could have been fixed and we could have done something about it, maybe. Uh, a couple of things that stick out to me is that, you know, uh, our city leaders are, are constantly talking about uh, things that are happening in other places. They're talking about the environment and things of that nature. When you go to these different candidate forums, they're talking about, you know, we need to do something about the environment. Um, and that's what they focus on. But and, and this may have something to do with it. This could lead to it. But what people are concerned about is where am I going to live and can I afford the rent and can I, you know, it, you know, are my taxes too high, you know, or it, am I going to have a job? Uh, those are the things that are actually focused on. And those people that we're depending on doing the work, you know, your your bartenders, you know, all those people that are actually in those those jobs like that are getting priced out and they can't afford their monthly rent. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, I personally feel like if you're going to be part of the gentrification issue and you open a bar or you open a store in one of these areas, one of these historical areas, you should probably employ the people that are still trying to live in those areas or at least make an attempt to. But the other thing people aren't talking about is the kids that are going to get displaced mid-school year or mid-school season Uh, meaning from kindergarten to 12th grade. These are kids that have probably been all going to school together at the same time at the same pace. And you're breaking up friendships, not not just families, friendships. And what is the psychological impact on that? I've never heard anybody from the city council talk about it. I've never heard anybody from even the AISD boards talk about it. And that's my concern with gentrification is I've been forced out of East Austin also as a single parent. And, you know, having to transition my child from school to school to school just to 
to live wherever it was more affordable based on the fact that millennials are moving in. I mean, that's a historical part of Austin with historical buildings. And now we've got, what, six public schools up for grabs right now. All right, let's talk something. about what do we think is the, the best price, you know, to pay for rent, mm. you know, to pay to rent a one-bedroom or two-bedroom. You know, what You know what do you think? And my suggestion is 800 I think $800 is a good number uh, that's affordable. Uh, so, Dave, what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, you could ask you could ask people to set prices like that, but uh, you cannot dictate to an apartment owner, uh, somebody who owns an apartment building, what they are going to charge for rent. One thing that is illegal in Texas because of our state legislature is rent control. It's used in many other states to control rent, but here in Texas, we are not allowed to uh, set prices. We are not allowed to do something called inclusionary zoning, which in other states you can say if you're going to build a 300-unit apartment complex, then uh, 10 or 20 percent of the units have to be priced below market price. We are, that is illegal in Texas explicitly. I was working on that when I was on the Planning Commission when the state legislature squashed that idea. Uh, recently, um, the, uh, gov- the governor vetoed a bill that would have allowed us to take the uh, increased tax revenue in different areas – as the property values go up and then funnel that back into those areas for affordable housing. And so the state puts many barriers in front of us in terms of how we can control uh, prices. The governor vetoed that, right? The governor vetoed that, yeah. Okay, and then what about code enforcement? Because uh, the way they're doing it, you know, is what I see is I can get code enforcement to come in and, you know, find these people, you know, or cite them and then force them to... You know, because we we've given them the citation, then they can't afford to pay it. They have to sell. They have to get out and get evicted or whatever. They move and then it gets sold. And then now someone comes in, tears it down, builds a a, a high rise. And now they're definitely going to raise the rent because we just force that other person out. Yeah, as far as that goes, you'd have to go to the look at code. I, I'm not that's not my table, Michael, as I told you, I would say earlier um, code enforcement operates with police powers, and generally they're they're Ooh. there for the uh, health and safety of citizens. But um, I'm also a, a active with an affordable housing group here, and we've tried to work with them about uh, preserving the affordability after they've gone in and forced the, the property owners to make the uh, make the stairs safer or prevent fires, things like that, uh, but not drive everybody out. But again, it's an uphill battle because. The property owners have the right to tear down their building and build something else. All right. We're talking with Dave Sullivan. He's a research associate of University of Texas, but he's here in a different capacity. He's here as a, as a person that's on the advisory board uh, for Code Next. And I think personally Code Next is bad. It's going to be bad for gun owners. And we're actually going to explain to you why, what Code Next is. We're talking about that. We're also talking with uh, Gabo Jamal. He's telling us about, hey, this article that was in the Austin American Statesman and why he thinks that's bad. Uh, we're talking about Code Next. We're talking about gun owners. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Mark Touré. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill.
Get breaking news, exclusive contests, and more delivered right to your inbox. I like knowing things. Join the Right Choice Club at Talk1370.com and you'll be in the know. Just go to Talk1370.com and click on the Right Choice Club from Talk 1370. The Right Choice. Listen to your favorite shows. Keep up with the latest breaking news and more anytime at Talk1370.com. Talk1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about Code Nicks and how bad this is for Austin gun owners. And that's, like I said, that's my personal opinion. Uh, but that's what we're discussing today. And we have Dave Sullivan in here. And, and he's actually on the uh, advisory commission, advisory board for Code Nicks. And we have a question online. And what's that question? Uh, sorry. Uh, what's the honest assessment of investment and to the Eastside community so they could be self-sufficient of sorts? Dave, what do you think? Can you take a stab at that? Somebody asked a question. There's, there, are, there are a number of ways to uh, interpret a question like that. Um, I think it's If a the setup. question has to do with what would be the uh, amount of rent that would have to be go in or the number of uh, amount of money to, uh, so that mortgages, price, mortgages could be paid, um, then somebody would need to do a study to answer a question like that. Who pays a mortgage on an apartment building? Well, like all property owners. Yeah. But not the actual, because there's not a lot of apartments actually for sale on the east side. They're all for rent. Not yet. No, no. Somebody owns the building. Yeah, that's going to be the building. One thing, occasionally you can see an apartment building sold, and then you can divide the number of units into that sales price to get an estimated value. So apartments are often in the range of like 60 to uh, $90,000 value per apartment. As opposed to three hundred thousand uh, for a single-family house, well, which is me, why apartments are cheaper than homes. Let me bring a, a let me bring a property owner into the conversation. My co-host Janai. Uh, so Janai, what are your thoughts about this? Uh, I agree, rents are pretty high here, but one of the issues with the rental price is property taxes. They're just through the roof. Like I said earlier, when we were off air, my my property taxes have gone up double digit, and I can't reasonably raise rents equal to that i you know there's it's all about supply and demand i suppose i could raise them more i just don't think that would be a reasonable thing for me to do so i don't do it but um that's probably the one of the main reasons that property uh that rents are going up so much here yeah it's a and, huge and, problem all right and then um let me bring gabo gabo back into the conversation here uh so with what's going on, you know, with this article, uh, we asked this young lady to come onto the show, mm. and you know, because it, a lot of people were very upset, you know, about the article in the Austin American Statesman, rightfully so, because it seemed to, you know, like you said, you know, pretty much say, hey, you know, gentrification, yeah, it was a great thing, you know, we're glad we moved those people out of East Austin, those people, yeah, <laughs> so uh, and, and they're saying, hey, pretty much it's a great thing, uh, but she was afraid to come onto the show and really justify, and, and and I honestly, I think the Austin American Statesman threw her under the bus. They sure did. They completely threw her under the bus because this this young lady has been writing for the Austin Austin Statesman uh, for quite a while, and you know. She did a lot of articles, 
And so they knew that, you know, the type of stuff that, you know, she was going to write or, you know, they knew her 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 pattern there. So there's no surprise here or anything. And I honestly, I think Austin's American Statesman is actually responsible for a lot of things that go on because they put that information out there. They said it wasn't edited. Uh, it, I like, concur. Slid- the, the story I heard was that originally she wanted to write a piece with a different tone. Now, this is all everything I gathered through comments of her friends because she actually wouldn't say anything. To me and declined to come on here. So if I was in court, I'll say hearsay. Hearsay, yes. Doesn't, uh, the doesn't the count way that. I understand it was that she wanted to write a very different toned article about Eastside and was told to rewrite it by her editors, who then went and further fluffed it up to get the tone that they <gasps> wanted. So for what I gathered, this was kind of her. She claims it's, it was written with a satirical tone. Which I didn't get by reading it. I don't Not think anybody else got by being it. And just because you chuckle to yourself while you're writing right. it doesn't necessarily make it satire. But it, I think maybe she was trying to, you know, oh, well, they want this here. I'm going to give it something, you know, so just gross and they'll run with it. And, you know, the joke will be on them. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're, it's not followed by your resignation and you're not letting people know what your Ooh, intentions were. Good point. It reflects on you. And, uh and the statesman did not put anything about it was satire. They nope. apologized for it. Uh, staff writers even wrote rebuttals in response to this article. So I, I do agree. I think she was completely thrown under the bus. But at some point, you know, there's a thing called integrity. And you either have it or you don't. Mm. Uh, don't get me started. Uh, the statesman did actually say that, and they said this on their, their uh, Facebook page online, that they don't really know how this slid under their editorial desk they said it wasn't edited properly and it was already in print by the time they had said that and so myself and some other uh activists were wondering why our op-ed pieces never got put in the statesman and we've written for about five to ten years collectively and not once did every because it was so hyper uh, focused on by the statesman we couldn't get anything in because it was over edited so that's where I come in. I don't I don't believe the statesman, you know, acted like this didn't happen. Either that or they're just really horribly out of touch with the city of Austin. I, maybe they hold a different standards for their their statesman home section. Their Was statesman it home section. Because those people that read that section, they don't use it for the litter box like I do. Right. Well, I mean, but see, so I come, both my parents actually read every part of the newspaper, right? They're the ones who showed me the article in the first place. And it turns out my mom had written a letter to the editor about the same author in the Statesman Homes uh, article about Terrytown back in April. And they said that a high-end area demands a high-end education. And so Damn. using that logic, it would imply that a low, low-income low neighborhood should get a crappy education. And she actually mm. wrote to the editor, to uh, Susie Gray, who replied, uh, you know, thanked her for her email and said, I couldn't agree more with your sentiment and your reaction to this piece in our home section. The author is a contractor, not an excuse, which kind of sounds a lot like what they said for this article, and they said, I'll address it with my team. So the same author upset people before, said it's going to be addressed, same excuse of it's a contractor. So she has a pattern. That does hold up in quarter law, by the way. Yeah, we call that hidden racism. I don't think that's hidden. I disagree. (laughs) That is what I've now identified as white liberal supremacy. I don't think that's hidden. I mean, you have to have a trained eye to find it, but, I mean, she wrote it, and she has a pattern, and you've got – You've got it in print. We've all got it in print. And I don't think it's hidden. And I think this young woman needs to to come out in a public space and either apologize but not over-explain herself because nobody's wanting, nobody wants to hear that. No, I, I got a very long private message from her where she 
essentially painting herself as the victim and, and says, how am I supposed to, um, That's white you guilt. know, apologize to the rest of us after all the hatred? You know, even if it's deserved, it's hard to give. Well, you know, apologies aren't easy to give, especially when you really mess up. And uh, sometimes you just have to suck it up and do what's right. She acted like this is a Jay-Z album. She was going to write an album, apologize, and fix Lemonade or something. It, it doesn't work that way. All right, so let me go back to code next. And the, the city of Austin's planning and zoning department provides planning, preservation, and design services to make Austin the most livable city in the country. And code next is a PAZ, PAZ initiative. What does that mean? What is PAZ? Uh, planning and zoning. Okay. All right, so – and and. To me, the, the problem that a lot of business owners were finding is trying to renovate their business. That was the help that business owners really needed. There are a lot of businesses that just wanted to do some renovations. They wanted to expand. They wanted to remodel. And the problem was trying to go to the planning you know, and zoning department to get that done was a nightmare. You're right, Michael. And that's why uh, two years ago or three years ago, I forget which – uh, the city put together a contractor, and uh, you may have heard of the Zucker Report, which was an audit done on the Planning, Development, and Review Department and uh, found that there were many inefficiencies. And so they put together a plan to try to speed up uh, people getting their permits for um, doing refurbishments or redevelopment or just getting building permits, etc., and so they split the planning and the review departments apart. So planning was one department and the uh, permitting and review department was another department. And I do believe that they have seen improvements since they, since they made those changes. And what a lot of people don't know, let's talk about evictions. I don't know if you know this or not. According to the Travis County data, there are 7,745 eviction petitions mm. that were filed in Travis County in fiscal year of 2015. Approximately 55 percent, that's 4,235 of the petitions filed resulted in an eviction judgment. 34, I'm sorry, 35 percent, which is 1,477 of the eviction judgments resulted in a writ of possession. And of the zip codes analyzed, 78741 in southeast Austin contained the most eviction petitions. And that's 1,037 judgments, 592, and writs of possession, 150. And this is bad. And also, you do know that Austin is considered the most economically segregated metro yep. in the country. Yep. Austin has been named the most economically segregated city in the country. Mm. That's heavy. It is. It's shameful, which is exactly why within Code Next, we are trying to make it easier for persons of all different backgrounds to live in all parts of the city. If we can go to West Austin and you can allow garage apartments, if you can put more uh, apartments along major corridors that go into West Austin, then you would have more opportunities for people to live where they wanted to live in the city. Um, part of what we the issues you talk about with the evictions there, uh, again, the city has other programs that try to address these issues. I did uh, email the author of this op-ed piece that you're quoting from uh, asking for more, more backup material about it. Uh, so Code Next is not the problem here. What we're talking about is the existing land development code. The existing 1980s version of the land development code is what is behind all of the problems that we face today. Code Next is an opportunity to fix it 
or change them or make or solve some of the problems. So how do we fix it, Dave? Well, again, that's what we're, it, that's Jesus. what that's why we need your input and the input from the community. For the last four years, we've been trying to do outreach, and I will agree with my friend Olivia here that we haven't done enough. Um, it's very hard in a city like this that is so diverse and large to reach everybody. Because I guarantee you, been, right now, listen to us. There's going to be two thousand people that are listening that have never heard of Code Next. Three thousand well, if Janae and I start fighting again. Right, <laughs> and by the same well, token, it's going to jump up to six. By then. the same <laughs> token, many of those people have not heard of our existing land development code or our existing capital improvement program or or other projects and planning uh, elements of the city and the county and the AISD and ACC, etc. So that's why it's very important for the media to put this word out there that we need more citizens to, con- to contribute into these planning efforts. So the city has gone – with regard to Code Next, we visited high schools all over the city on Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoons to get um, – to do outreach about Code Next. We've gone out uh, once with the text and once with the maps. And between now and April when uh, Code Next will be voted on by the city council, there will be other opportunities – to attend public forums or to contact public officials uh, to put give input, and the point is that it's the current land development code that causes the problems, and Code Next is an opportunity to address them. Code Next is not a final product right now; it's only the first draft. So there will be at least three drafts. So there's going to be many opportunities to uh, make changes in what we do right now in terms of the built environment. And, t- and for our future building. Okay. So and, I have a question. Okay. Since we're talking about city leadership, uh, so you said this the the existing land development code was based on what was going on in the eighties. So well, we've it's been, had it's been it was it was in effect in the eighties. Right, and and there have been many patches over time. It's not like we did it in nineteen eighty six and there's been no changes. Right. But we've made many changes one at a time along the way, which is another issue about just cleaning it up. Because when you have an original document and you make all these amendments to it, sometimes there are conflicts that don't or unintended conflicts that exist within the document. So one element of code next is simply making things much clearer that with regard to everything that we've done over the last 30 years. But it's also an opportunity to look at mistakes we've made over the last 30 years and or just the changes that have gone on in society and bring them up to up to. Uh, the modern era. So maybe looking at who was on the city council in those time frames and trying to understand their ideas behind reshaping the city. And maybe, I mean, I firmly believe that people on the city council don't really know what's going on in East Austin or in the city or how hard it is or how difficult it is. And we can talk about how, how diverse it is, but uh, one of the things that you and I touch base on is what is the diversity of the board of Code Next? And, uh, you know, I thankfully reached out to you and you reached out to me and I wasn't in an angry space. And um, you you mentioned to me that you did, you know, raise a red flag that there weren't, it, the board did not reflect basically the diversity that is currently, you know, in Austin. And it has been ever since I've been here since the 90s. And so I do want to thank you for that very much because that's something that we fight a lot about is not having enough diverse board members. Right. right. And I'll point out that when we, we just approved a uh, final report from our work, we've actually just wrapped up our work on the advisory group and passed it on to the City Planning Commission and Zoning and Planning Commission. And in our report, we listed some of the deficiencies in our own work. Um, we are very proud of the work that we've done, but we recognize that we did have deficiencies. And one of the ones we pointed out is 
uh, lack of diversity on our board. With 18 members, we only had two renters and 16 homeowners in a city where uh, there's a minor, um, it's like 51% renters and 49% homeowners. And so there's a mismatch in that where we don't, didn't have enough renters. We had one African-American. Uh, it took uh, 18, after 18, uh, out of 18 uh, spots were filled, we had no African-Americans until somebody wow. stepped down. And then an African-American was appointed. Mm. And then um, we could look at other issues about the geographic distribution of people. One half of our members come from two council districts as mm. opposed to having they being evenly distributed across the city. So we... We, let, we mentioned that in our final report so that people could pay attention to that and look at making up for those deficiencies over the next year as this goes through the planning commission, more public hearings, more public outreach efforts. All right. Our call in number is 512-643-LIVE. That's 512-643-5483. Come and talk it. So Fernando says, funny how they need your input, but they they really don't want it. I'll tell you, I, earlier today, I, I attended a candidate forum mm. and you need to pay attention to what's going on in the city of Austin. You have people that were currently that were in the past were city council members and, and one was a mayor pro tem. Uh, at, at Austin City Council. Now that person's running for state representative. That person started Code Next. That person was there when we're having all the problems that we're having for years. So you got to ask yourself, do you want this person in a different position because they cause, they are responsible for some of the problems that we're in now. You got to pay attention to people, what's going on in your city because they're running for office and they're trying to hold on to that power and do the same thing over and over again. You have people that are suffering right now. You have evictions, 7,745 eviction petitions that were filed in Travis County. You got to pay attention. People are suffering. They're hurting. And code next, all it's going to do, you get you in these little communities. They're going to raise the rent, raise the prices, and then they're going to put in your lease, no firearms allowed. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. Keep up with the latest breaking news in Austin and around the world. Take a moment to make sure you're following us on Twitter at Talk 1370. Let the tweeting begin. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. The right choice. Talk 1370. The right choice. This is a man's world. This is a man's world. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. That's right. I'm trying to trigger you. This is a man's world. What you got to say? Anything? What I got to say about that? <laughs> okay, just joking. Don't just call me. I don't need any hate messages. Uh, no hate Stand emails. I'm only joking. All right, so we're talking about code next today. Um, and let me bring into the conversation real quick here. We have the um, legislative director for the Libertarian Party uh, inside the studio, and I want to ask him to step up to the mic, tell people your name, uh, what's your, you know, what do you do with the Libertarian Party, which I already told them, but tell them again 
and then tell us what your thoughts are about Code Next. Well, what I do at the Libertarian Party is, well, I'm Ryan Simpson, and I was legislative director, and that was basically running the lobbying department, being their chief lobbyist, and addressing issues at the legislature. And that's I've been promoted and in, in political director now. And so what we're thinking with Code Next is we're all for the property rights of businesses and, you know, everyone else. But our issues still come back to all these taxes. And we can't have had ad valorem taxation because it's going to affect everyone. It's driving out the poor population as cities and local governments continue to raise it. And it's also driving out elderly populations because they aren't getting new paychecks. They're not getting a raise ever. All right. So and let me bring up another topic. Capital view corridors. So the view of the capital for years, for years, it was protected. You know, that was a protected view. And I think this is really going to be a legislative issue. But I do want to ask uh, before I go to Dave about Capital View Quarters, because I do want to talk about that, because a number of issues have commanded the attention for the preservation recently, but none has been as consuming as the current threats to the Capital View, because we're totally losing that view. The more high-rises that go up in East Austin, they're killing the view of the Capitol, the Texas Capitol. It's, it's, it's awful. But let me go to the phone lines, and by the way, our phone, uh, our phone number is 512-643-5483. That's 54, I'm sorry, 512 512- Six four three, live. Come and talk. So let me go to line one, Gabriel in Maynard, Texas. Hey, Michael, how you doing, sir? All right, sir. I think I recognize that voice. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I um, yeah. We since we've got to go to that candidate forum. Um, is that is that forum uh, over yet? I, you know, I left early. Okay. I had to leave early because I was told that there was going to be in, uh, really tough questions on the candidates. I didn't hear any. Now let me ask you this: Did um, did the state rep did she show up? Yeah, she did. Okay, oh, and I was did. told that and she was when I was leaving. Oh. Uh, someone came up to me and they said, "You know, Mike, she's going to come. You know, she's she's coming to this. She's going to show up." And- yeah, the, the the interesting point on this is that everybody w- was ready to to attack her. Everybody's ready to go after her for for what she's not doing. Yet when she spoke, people listened. It was. Absolutely fascinating. Tell people who are we talking about. We're talking about my friend, uh, Donna Dukes. So State Representative Donna Dukes, and she's in District 46, correct? Yes, sir. All right, so State Representative Donna Dukes in 46 uh, actually attended a candidate forum, which is supposed to have been a, it was supposed to be a, a, she was supposed to get, I guess. Anti-Donna Dukes. Huh? It was supposed to be an anti-Donna Dukes uh, forum. Right. It was kind of like a bash, a bash Dukes. Right. Uh, they were going forum. to bash her. Instead, they didn't. You're saying it, it kind of turned. And she has that effect on the people. That is the one oh, thing yeah. that they forget. When she gets up and she shows up and speaks, people mm. listen because she has that effect because she can actually relate to them where they mm. cannot. You have this thing with the Democratic Party, which is supposed to be the party of minorities and taking care of minority issues, uh, but they really are not able to relate. When it comes to police accountability, when it comes to uh, taxation and things of this nature, they cannot relate to the people that actually live in that community. You have all these people that are on the outside of the community that are not in District 46 that are there to talk about, you know, things that they want the party to do, um, but those are not the issues that the people that live in District 46 are concerned with. And Gabriel, exactly. you're running You're running for District 46. Is that correct? 
Well, we're still looking at it. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Um, my wife and I had, had to step back a little bit after this last election, and we're seeing we're kind of looking at the, at the survey of the land right now with uh, what the Democrats are doing. And just so and everyone we, knows, this is Gabriel Nila, uh, who actually ran for state representative district 46 in the last election on the Republican mm-hmm. ticket. Is that correct? Yes, yes, sir. I was the first Republican to ever run against her. Wow. So I, I, I to I run against Donna Duke. Yep. Right. And yep, so it, it was it was gerrymandered. I'll put it to you this way. District 46 was gerrymandered so that she can be in this in this area. Mm. And, 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 she lived in East Austin for, for the longest time and then moved to the southern portion of Pflugerville. And when they did the redistricting, they cut a small piece of, of Pflugerville just to go ahead and put where, where uh, just to put her home in that district. Wow. Yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting uh, situation when we Did were Did she get gentrified out of East Austin to Pflugerville? No. No, she oh. she moved, and she, she moved to, to Flug- Yeah, she moved to Pflugerville. I was she, just wondering, because the Duke's family has a, a lot of property. Oh, yeah. She made a, a comment about a year ago that people were making money to go ahead and move out of East Austin. And once she started making her money, she left. Wow. Did she cash uh, that $10,000 check? Does anybody know? I'm hoping she had her I'm hoping she had her, her ID with her and or probably a second form of identification because, you know, mm. federal law trumps uh, race. All right. So, Gabriel, tell us about, you know, what actually happened at this meeting, this um, candidate forum that took place earlier today. Do you want the boring part or do you want uh, the questions about the, uh, that was asked to the candidate? Yeah. Give me those. OK. So they asked about uh, David Joseph and how they would work as uh, representatives in the Capitol to, uh, to, cha- to, to minimize what happens and, 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 and encourage uh, police accountability for what was going on. And um, everybody couldn't answer that question, really. They Even didn't answer that honest, question? They couldn't answer the question properly. I mean, they're asking about accountability, and, and basically they're saying we need to go into the city, we need to go into the district, we need to go into the, into the community. And, and, I'll, and I'll share a story with you that's going to probably upset some people. So... I, when that happened, I actually had a brief moment to talk to Nelson Linder. And one of the comments that he made is about a portion in the law that basically says that if a police officer says, I was in fear for my life, I can go ahead and use that as justifiable shooting. Correct. And nobody wants to talk about that part where, where if we're going to hold people accountable, you know, just like we, we do, I mean, like we're supposed to hold ourselves accountable. If they, if they were to go ahead and make a change in that, either reward it in some fashion or remove it altogether so that there's a, a, a higher accountability of the officer and their actions, then people will actually listen. And all we were hearing was saying, well, I'm, I'm going to work in the community. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Uh, Duke's talked about what she did in, in, uh, in different forums. Um, and then started blaming Republicans for everything. So it, so it ended up not being an ambush it ended up, they actually yeah. listened to her. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They listened to her and they said, oh, okay, this is great. Um, and and, and I'm sure, are, I'm sure she let them know that she, she's probably, she's not stepping down. There's no way in the world oh, yeah, she's going to oh, yeah. step down. So if they want if, that if seat. If she made it to that forum, if she made it to that forum, you can guarantee she's going to be running. So wow. if they want that seat, they're going to have to take that seat because she's not stepping down. And I already told them, you know, exactly. she, she doesn't, she gives zero F's. She's zero. Yeah. She has the lowest voting record for not showing up to vote. Yeah. She has the lowest attendance out of any legislature this past session. 
-hmm. My family lives in that district, and they do not feel represented at all. So she's winning. She's winning by by not even showing up. And she won't have she won't have to do any work either, because uh, people will do that. Yeah, they'll just go straight down the ballot, and people know Mike's name. Yeah, but she she won't have to do any work at all. She won't Mm. do any work. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. And then and then they asked about um, healthcare coverage. Okay. Um, especially when it came to like getting more people covered uh, through the state, uh, Bella made an interesting comment about the Medicaid expansion for uh, program that's still offered through the uh, Obamacare program, and everybody was like, "Oh yeah, this is great." And I'm like, "I had to leave because <laughs> you had to leave um, on that note." Yeah, and and the reason why is because. You know, I, I worked in, with Medicaid for, for years, and I was actually um, one of the navigators uh, through, the, um, through the Affordable Care Act or through the Obamacare program. Uh, the people that, that went to go apply, get people to apply for, for assistance and to apply for the programs. Um, what nobody talks about this Medicaid expansion program that, that's offered by the federal government is that it is a one-time grant. And you get, what, $50 billion or whatever amount of money that you can do, whatever you want to, to expand the program. However, once that money's gone, who's going to pay the bill? Mm. It ain't going to be the federal government. And it's, and it's going to be you and I that have to get our, our, have our taxes raised. Or the state says, we're going to cut costs here, which they've done consecutively for the past five, six years. Hmm. So it, it, it was just an amazing thing where, where people were like, yes, we got to have this. And it's like... But they're not saying how you're going to pay for it. So we need to make sure that we don't end up in a, in a in a situation basically that we're voting for someone or something that's going to have a long term effect uh, on our our children. Because I have a 15 year old and he's in the room right now, and I always look at him and think, how much gusto does he have to clean up the mess that I didn't vote on? Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and we're just basically kicking kicking every and I hate to say this part. We're just basically kicking everything down the road so that everybody can, you know, someone else will pay the tab. Right. And, and, and it's just amazing that. that All right. Know, hold, on sec, Gabriel, hold on a sec, Gabriel. Hold on a sec, Gabriel, because I want to come back to you because uh, uh, we're going to try to convince you to run for state representative. Come so on, Gabriel. That's a whole nother thing. But hold on a sec. Uh, let me go to line two. Line two, you on with come and talk it. Hello. Yes. Go ahead. What's, what's your name? I'm sorry. What's your name? I said, good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, this is Gavino. What's up? I'm sorry. Who is this? Gavino. Hey, Gavino. Hey, what's going on, Gavino? Yes, sir. All right. So I have a, I have a question. Well, one, an observation. I've noticed that under the Adler administration and this 10-1, one of the things that has happened is that there's a lot of boarding commissions that are uh, all white, mm. and uh, <clears throat> there's a large number of them. Whether that's good or bad, I'm just mentioning that as an observation. And Gavino, tell people who you are and what organization you represent. I'm with El Concilio, a coalition of Mexican-American landowners from East Austin, Austin native, 1960. Uh, <clears throat> I've been, you know, our family's been here since the early, uh, late. Uh, 1800s in the Del Valley area. That's where wow. a lot of Latinos were raised back in the day. But anyway, I'm also with Lulac. But I just wanted to, to talk and say, uh, y'all stop bashing my Democrats, all right? Y'all behave. <laughs> too late. Oh, too late. We're going to bash him. We're going to bash him to the end. But anyway, 
my question to the Codenex folks is because when we went through the neighborhood plans, that's one of the things that ignited gentrification is when they changed the zoning and allowed uh, garage apartments or whatever in the back so you could build and, and bring in your grandmother or whatever. I tell you what, Gavino, hold that thought because we got to go to a hard break. I'm going to come back and I'll have you ask right. that question to uh, to Dave here because I want him right. to hear that question and him answer it. Uh, we're talking about Code Next. We're talking about how Code Next affects gun owners and how it's going to affect the city of Austin. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is State Representative Jonathan Stickland, and you are listening to Come and Talk It on Talk 1370. Texas weather can change on a dime. Flash flooding is expected to begin shortly. When the weather turns severe, turn to us for what you need to know. On air and online at Talk1370.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about Code Next, and Dave is back here yelling at me. He said, he No, sure Michael, was. no, that's under the current, wow. the current, you know, the way things are done. But Code Next is not hasn't taken effect. And I'm yet. glad I'm glad you got it, Michael. Thank uh, you. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh thank oh. you. Thank you for agreeing with me, oh, Michael. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> Janae, we so may let, have to get the jello. So let me go back to line two. Uh, line two. Okay. Hey, Gavino, go ahead. I'm sorry. Hey, Ask Gavino, question, this Gavino. is Dave. How you doing? Oh, they know each other. Sure. Okay. <gasps> what? Like I, like I was mentioning, my role in the last plan was the Holly Neighborhood Plan, and that was the end effect is that once they changed that zoning, property values went up sky high. But And, and that's fine. I have no problems with that. The only issue that I have is that there was, they never put in a safety net for mm. those of us that have been here longer with whatever effect that planning was going to have. And so Dave, Dave Gavino, Dave is going to tell you that they're not allowed to put in a safety net because then that would be called... Well, the governor, the government does not allow us to do set prices on home prices. They do not allow us to do... Rent control. Uh, rent control. They don't allow us to do inclusionary zoning. That, they in this last uh, legislature they squashed the. Um, I'm not uh, talking about rent control. Okay, good. Right. I'm not talking about rent control. I'm talking about the city of Austin. For example, when Commissioner De Leon was his commissioner, the county had a bank they had to deal with. So the commissioner's court said, "Hey, the best bank that chose loans and the best bank that chose you know diversity in their financial portfolio will get our business." We don't need, we, you know, we don't need no rent control or anything like that. So those tools are available, but they're never brought up. And that's what I'm saying. Now, on the Code Next, this organization that got together to start working on this plan for the future, my question, you know, would is when, when y'all saw that it was basically Lily White in 2017, why didn't anyone step up and say, wait a minute, we can't do this? Dave did do that. We oh, cannot. thank you, Olivia. I got your back. I right. got your back. You know, I came for you hard. Right. Gavino, we... we like this that's going to affect the next 40, 50 years of our community without these bodies present. As, because we're landowners. I'm a landowner myself. But that's the only critique that I have about Code Next, that it's 
to me, it's an amendment to the 1928 plan, and it mm. does need a lot of work. And it's funny you say that, Gavino, because um, or Houston, uh, our city council member in District uh, District One there said, you know what, we do need to get some other people on some of these different boards and stuff like that. And then that's when she recommended me, and they voted it, voted it down. How did that work out for you, Michael? You know that, Gavino, right? Oh yes, yes, I understand. Yeah, and you know one of the as one of the the uh, you know authors of the seventh effort to bring in single member districts because you know it was tried six times before, but when Lulac and uh, our neighborhood and 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 uh, Senator Jeff Westworth, a Republican from uh, San Antonio, pressured the city council to finally uh, put it on the uh, on the agenda on the, for voters to vote or else get it through legislation, you know, the root cause that we wanted that is because we wanted that diversity. We wanted those different opinions, which makes often what it is. And it's only one out of 11. Come on. You know, I could understand it was four or five, but that was the, the fruits. Those were the seeds that we were, were planning and were hoping that we would bring out or would come out under the 10-1 or single-member district is I, to have that I, diversity. I, and honestly, I don't think that our current leadership in the city of Austin wants to do – it wants to really work hard at helping – You know, I honestly don't think so, helping people. Because if they did, you know, just by allowing me on that commission or on that you know, advisory board – I can actually have a good working relationship with people at the Capitol that are on the conservative side, the Republicans. Yep. And if I can explain to them this, these are the problems that we're having. And if you can help, you know, by having that voice on the on that advisory board could change the way certain things, you know, happen at the Capitol. Because I have a lot of victories at the Capitol. I mean, campus Fine. carry. Who would have thought that, you know, you'd be able to have campus carry passed in the state of Texas? No one thought that. My God, you know, being able to carry a handgun on a college campus, that that was a big, huge fight. And we got that passed. So I can make some miracles happen. Let me tell you. Uh, But we we're not going to it's not going to happen unless the city of Austin is willing, you know, to cross that party line and Mm. and work with people on the other side. But let me go. Michael, Michael can and I like to ask Dave if he could answer that question. Okay. no one. No one stopped and said, wait a minute, we can't move forward like this. So in um, December of 2015, as the 10-1 council was coming in and making their appointments, at the point at which 15 members out of 18 had been appointed, I was the chair of the Code Code Next Advisory Group. I emailed the city council to alert them that we were not as diverse as we could be. And I encouraged the last set of uh, uh, council members to make, make, you know, look over what their appointments would be. And I was very specific about an African-American. Um, so uh, it, I failed in that effort and 18 members were appointed. We did have Latinos appointed. Uh, we had two renters appointed, which I think is a big win because if anybody's underrepresented in this city, it's people who rent mm. as opposed to homeowners. Mm. Mm. But um, at uh, after one member um, stepped down, uh, Delia Garza did appoint uh, Pat King, who's an excellent member who represents Southeast Austin, who I've been working with her about the food desert issue. Um, you know, she brought it to our attention, but that's one of the big issues and some of the outlaw, some of the areas surrounding Austin that they don't have gro- simple things that a lot of us take for granted, like growth, grocery stores. So that became one of her important ideas about how you can get uh, more retail closer to homes and so people don't have to drive so far 
to go shopping. Um, so anyway, it did take a while, but we did get um, an added diversity after um, one person resigned. And but that, that was, not, that but was, it's, that it's was only after a, we complained. It was complained about. Well, yeah. yeah and I, I did say something. And you're talking meeting. about this. This advisory board has been in place since 2012. Well, before that, before we that. were different. We had a different makeup. Yeah. It was and different. so under the seven. But uh, it was still they're still all white. No, that's not true at all. No, no. no. We had uh, we had a mix of. Uh, there were no black people, basically. What no, we did. We before always had, it was the official code next advisory board. When when we were originally constituted in uh, twenty thirteen, we had um, how many members? Twenty thirteen. I'm sorry, we had nine members. One of them was African American. We had a couple of Latinos, one African American, uh, the rest all Anglo, and we were one hundred percent homeowners. Ooh. Then when we had the opportunity to expand, when the uh, 10-1 council came in, then we uh, made a, a stronger effort to get renters on board. But there, then there was that lapse in terms of appointing a diverse based on ethnicity. God, what would happen if they had a black renter on board? Uh, let me let me ask you this. Uh, well, Gavino, did that ask, I mean, answer your question? question. Uh, yes, yes. It, it, I do want to say also, you know, I, I strongly respect respect Dave and his love and passion to planning mm-hmm. and his volunteer service to uh, the planning commission in the city and uh, has nothing to say with, you know, I, I totally respect him for that. While there may be times where we disagree on certain issues, but I just wanted to shut that out and make sure that people didn't see it as me attacking him or anything like that. No, and it, and it, is, it is a thankless job because it's it's voluntary. People yeah. think that these yeah. advisory boards are something that you're paid to do. You're not no. paid to do it. You're a volunteer. We, and we, that, and yeah. that's really the one thing that pissed me off so bad about, you know, city <laughs> council. You know, this is something that someone's asking you to do. Give up your free time. You're not paid. You know, it takes away from what you have to do, your work, your business. And they have the audacity to say, no, you can't be a part of that that advisory board and speak on the board and let your voice be heard. Well, then, you know what? I think I need a refund on my property taxes. Ooh. I need a refund on my sales tax or any, oh. other, or any other taxes I can throw out there. Or you should be able to open a gun store in one of those new apartment complexes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. If you don't want to hear what I have to say, then I need, you know. Let you, you have some business is what I I'm need saying. some tax relief. But, mm. you know, hey, that's, that's, that's for another story. Well, but Dave tell has me, receipts, Dave, so I Dave, know Dave did this. Tell me how is Code Next going to be different from what we have today. All right. So when I talk to people about this, I describe uh, in the first step is to make things simpler so that it's more readable. We've changed a lot of the legalese. We've using, we're using more uh, uh, visuals within the document, uh, make it easier for a person to look in one place to find all of the answers. Uh, some of it has to do just like with the electronic version and you can download it as a PDF and then do searches on it. So just making things simpler is one thing, but we have added new elements. So, for example, uh, one of the things that you will have to do now that you didn't have to do before, when you redevelop a piece of property for, say, commercial business or whatnot, um, you're going to have to do something about preventing flooding. It was the case before that if you weren't increasing your impervious cover, 
the city didn't ask you to do anything about flooding. Now you will have to address flooding. So, for example, when you see the re, uh, there's a they're pro- kind of doing that now with anything that's being built or, or new put up now. new projects. New projects. Right. So if I go into a green field and I build a new project, you have to do then that. I got, then I have to do that. But, but if when, you're renovating, you're right, saying you so don't. So up on North Burnett Road, I know of uh, I go by on the bus uh, when I go to and from work where there was a restaurant and a and a retail store that was converted into uh, car sales. And it's like 100% impervious cover. They did not have to do anything under our existing land development code okay. to prevent flooding. How under else is it going to be different? Under the new land development code, they would. Uh, some of the other changes we're d- looking at with affordable housing, um, one of the deals that we have right now is that we will allow uh, somebody building apartments to build a little bit bigger building in exchange for having um, some below market priced housing within that. Well, we are expanding the area where that is allowed by a factor of four. So it's spread more out around the city so we can get more affordable housing spread out around the city. And we're going to put in a new rule. This is another way that the legislature slapped our hand when the city had a requirement that if you have a voucher, which allows you to, um, if you can't afford the rent in a in an apartment building, you can get a, a, a voucher under a federal program that um, if the apartment owner will will accept it, then you can get the federal government will make up that price in the housing. But most apartment owners rejected it because of the bureaucracy associated with it. Or maybe they didn't like the people that were involved. Under Code Next, under our density bonus, if we do allow you to build more, then you will have to accept a voucher. I tell you what, the city of Austin would be able to throw some vouchers and money that direction uh, to people that are having that are actually struggling uh, with paying their rent or whatever. If they would stop shooting people and having to pay for lawsuits and things of that nature, they can throw four million dollars that direction rather than four million dollars paying a a lawsuit. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to talking. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Get the latest business news from CNBC. Weekday mornings at 6.30 and 8.30 and weekday afternoons at 12.30, 4.30 and 5.30. We make you smarter, hopefully. It'll also make you some money. Stay connected with Talk 1370, the The right choice. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so you can't always get what you want, but let me tell you. Um, today, well, this week, the U.S. Western District Judge tossed out a lawsuit from three University of Texas professors over the campus carry law. You just can't always get what you want. Campus carry is here to stay whether you like it or not. <laughs> you can't change it. It's not going to go away. So just move on, start teaching, or leave the state and go somewhere else. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me bring Dave back into the conversation. So, Dave, uh, you were telling us... What's different now? Uh, Well, you know what? Let me throw it back to my libertarian uh, representative, because, you know, at some point we've got to stop paying this property tax. 
You mean rent, right? Rent to the rent to the city it's, and the state. It's all rent. You don't own any of your property. You property are paying, rent. You are paying every year to keep what you have. It's a big problem, especially for our, as I mentioned earlier, our older population. Once they retire, they don't get a raise, and as property taxes go up, their quality of living continues to go down because they keep having to pay more and more to keep what they've worked their whole lives to have. And then we also should let property owners do whatever they want with their property. Yes, it's my property. I own it, Dave. What's the problem with that, Come on, Dave? If people want to do what they want with their property, they it's can. my property, Dave. I mm-hmm. want to do whatever I want to do with it. You better watch out. I got right. this back. So um, the Supreme Court, I can't give you the year for it, but they did grant to cities uh, the right to zone property, meaning that they can put prudent restrictions on what, how you can use your property. Part of that's another change, I think, that we're looking at within Codex, and we're trying to uh, increase the uh, ability to do use your land for different uses. So, for example. Uh, one of the things we're talking about is making it easier or if you've got a house to um, allow two families to live in the house. We would still restrict the size to be the same as the size for a normal house. So you're telling me allow- that I can't, you know, if I have a, a two-bedroom house, I can't have six people living in that house. No, we're telling you that you under, – under that's under the current land development code. Okay. Under the current land development code, there is a limit on six – uh, non-related adults living together, more than six not unrelated adults living together. And in certain parts of the city, that's down to four unrelated adults living together. Certain Under the new parts code, of the city. Right. Uh, in part, the central part of the city. The, uh, in part because of the fact that a lot of neighborhood associations were concerned about uh, college students packed into ho- houses and changing the character of the neighborhood. So under code next, under what would code happen? next, you would be allowed to condoize your property or or um, just allow say okay, four like units, four units. We're moving in so right. long as it's the same size house. And so if you define a house in terms of its size and its look, then we're going to loosen the regulation on how many different families can live in it. And then with regard to uh, uses for office and retail and whatnot. We're going to say that if you've got a building, we're going to tell you how big it can be and how much impervious cover it can be. But within that building, you can have a wide – you're allowed a wider range of uses because as the market changes, sometimes you might want it for office and sometimes you might want it for retail. And okay, I like that. It's not up to so the government to say that. So, and gun range. So we support more about the form. No, it's called, this is called form-based code. It's more important what it looks like and how the building functions as opposed to what activity goes on inside it. Oh, so so will I so, be able to have that gun range in that gun store in Austin City Limits? I I have to look up that. I mean, cur- for, I, it's hard code, for me to answer. It's hard for me to answer a question about a specific use okay. without looking it up because we have there's many 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 uses and there's a matrix that goes all the uses and what zoning they're allowed. Because I can solve a lot of problems right, right away. I can. <laughs> Give me a, let me build a building. Give me a piece of property. Build so a building. Can right. I can shut it down. But this is what we're going through. What we're going through right now with Code Next is your opportunity to comment. If you don't like the way things are now, okay. this is your opportunity to contact your elected officials and your appointed people on the planning commission and say, uh, "This is the way it should be. This is the best practices in other parts of the country." Uh, why can't we do it here in Austin? Yeah, well, we're trying. You know, they didn't want those uh, black conservatives to have anything to say, but we're trying. Maybe you're not. <laughs> maybe you're not black enough. <laughs> I don't know. Right, we're working on it. All right. So, hey, uh, before we go, because we got like eight minutes left, I want to make sure I give Gabon um, some things to say. Preach. I do want you to talk about the fact that your your mother 
again, did write a letter complaining about this writer once before that did the Austin American Statesman article. Um, also, I do want you to talk about the fact that um, you did try to get her back on the show again about that and some other things that were going on in Terrytown. Yeah, so basically, uh, you know, we I, I shared a post of hers where she was claiming that it was satire uh, after the fact, uh, which I call BS on completely. I don't think anybody thought it was satire at all. Um, and she reached out to me personally and was basically saying that she's now in fear of her life and she's had lots of threats, which I don't condone. I think that's horrible behavior for anybody to do. Um, but Michael was nice enough to offer a free license to carry class for her. And we gave her opportunity to come out here on the show today, and we got no response to it. Um, basically, a lot of I'm not ready to apologize. I'm still busy being wow. the victim. So whenever you're ready, you know how to get a hold of me. Olivia and, Olson. Uh, Make sure, sure Michael, you say her name. Because Olivia Olson. Say her name. Different Olivias. Uh, I'm sure uh, Michael will be ready to have you out whenever you are ready to apologize or share your side of the story. I'm ready, too. Yeah, definitely. We don't have time for, you know, being a victim, you know, want to get past that point and move on. Uh, so if you're worried about, you know, threats that are coming from the uh, the your liberals, you know, on the That's, east side there because yeah. of the article, then, you know, come on and see us and we can help you. That's you know, white that. privilege, thinking you can write an article like that and get away with it. And then Janai, from a business perspective, I, I think I'm trying I'm I'm starting to change my mind a little bit with about the code next. Oh, so I'm starting come to come around on. just a little. Dave has that effect. And yeah, you do have that effect. And we on still me. have the ability to change because it. Because I'm listening. Yeah. I'm That's right. I am listening. And I, I am starting to understand a little bit uh more about this. So I'm actually coming around. But I still don't like the fact that there is a growing trend in Austin. Of, of people that own property, you know, and, and lease that property to put in the lease, no firearms allowed. I still do not like that. Um, and I think that's going to carry over, you know, to the code next as well. But I do want to give Janai something, uh, you know, some things to comment on. Uh, pertaining to the code next? Yes. Or? Yeah. As, as from a business owner perspective. Um, I, I feel like I need to read a little bit more about it from what he says. Some of it sounds good. Um but I'm also a person that thinks you should be able to do what you want with your property. Mm-hmm. Um, we you think about property taxes? Oh, I think the property taxes are, are ridiculous. They're th- over the top. Is, do you think we should get rid of it or just bring it down some? I don't think it's realistic to get completely rid of it. But I think we can cap it. I think we can reduce it. I think we can do some things to... Uh, fix the problem, but I, I don't think it's realistic. I would love that, but I don't think that that would be uh, possible. I don't see how they're going to do that. At Just all. real quick, Dave, how many pages is Code Next? Ooh. Since Janai wants to read up on it, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> is what I'm saying. You see that? Right. How, how many pages? How many pages is Code Next? Well. <clears throat> It's more than 1,100 because we just added so a new section reading, to it. But <laughs> part of the reason is because of the illustrations and the fact that we deliberately repeat information within it. Because in some cases you want to have the, all the descriptions about what you can do with a piece of property in one section. But then you want to have the definitions of all the terms spread out throughout the document. And so uh, you can imagine that you've, you're unfolding a document to make it more less complex. You have to make it longer because you're explaining things in English rather than legalese. 
So it's a very long document, but you can search on it relatively easy, easily if you online. download the PDF or and, online. And I already pulled it up and started There's a lot of blank pages in there. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, and also you're going to need someone like Dave to help translate through that 1,100 pages because just getting – he says it's easy. Just getting through the table of contents is I, like – I already saw it. It's, it's – <laughs> I mean – and the elderly population in District 1 specifically, we go around and show the maps. They can't distinguish the colors on just the maps, the map change from current land development code to what Code Next is proposing. And because it's color coded and Dave is actually trying to work on making a true map system with uh, keys, right? Yeah. Slashes. So, yeah, Code Next is really two things. You can think of it. It's a text that has all of the verbal descriptions of things. But then there is a map that shows where you are allowed to put per certain uses and where you have where you have uh, public land and privately owned land and, and all the uh, geographic elements to it. So one of the criticisms that we came out with early on was that it was all color coded. And many of us know people who are colorblind I'm and they colorblind. can't distinguish between different colorations. And so it's easier when you do uh, things like you put uh, lines through it or use dots. Uh, along with the coloration in order to show what the different uses are. And already it's been announced that there is a simplification coming out in terms of the number of different zoning categories. How many so, zoning categories are, are on the map right now? Just, just well, curious. That's that was a problem. There were 13 new uh, categories that were introduced and then um, uh, and then a half, then about a dozen, there were, I'm sorry, there were about 20 something new categories that were introduced. However, in some areas, because of the complexity of the zoning that was on the ground, um, the city, st city staff uh, decided not to um, change the existing zoning uh, descriptions. Okay, the is there a way, the Dave, that you can explain to us real quick in like 30 seconds, um, the capital corridors? Okay, capital view corridors are specified under state law. They're directions uh, raised leading from seconds. the state capital out. You can't build a building that would block them. And then the city added a few also. And so we have these, uh, these if you can imagine, these triangles that come out from the Capitol and carve out corridors from which you can view the Capitol. All right, hold that thought. So when we go off the air, them. we're going to explain to people what that is and on Facebook Live. I want to thank everyone for being here in the studio today and de definitely for listening. Uh, Code Next and get involved in your community and find out go what go. you can do to, uh, to learn more about Code Next. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Take talk with you anywhere with the all-new Talk 1370 app. Listen to your favorite shows. Keep up with the latest breaking news and more. Search for Talk 1370 in the App Store or find the links at Talk1370.com. It's anywhere I need. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 